This is Radio Plasma, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Welcome to Radio Plasma. I am Johan Rashi Vega, producer and host. June is Immigrant Heritage Month, and this is our series of immigrant stories. The voices and experiences of the people who came from near and far to make a life in the United States and contributing to the growth and diversity of our society with their knowledge, skills, and cultural heritage. This is the story of Insia Mohammed Bergeron from Pakistan. She is a city planner. My name is Insia Mohammed Bergeron. I grew up in Karachi, Pakistan which is a very, very large city on the Arabian Sea. It is still the place that I think of as home. I got here, let's see, how did I, how did I get to the U.S.? I don't really think I thought about it very much actually growing up. As I started to get closer to college, I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and what professions I'd be interested in. And I just kind of applied to a bunch of schools in the U.S. because all my friends were doing it and didn't and like got into one school that was in the middle of Vermont, <laughs> in very rural Vermont. And I just remember having this reaction being, this is so different from anything I know. And I'm just weirdly really excited to try this out. So super city girl goes to rural Vermont. Um, I've seen snow once in my life when I was two or three. I have no, I still, I, I don't know if I have survival skills in the woods. <laughs> um, I still struggle to identify North American insects and bugs and birds because the things that I grew up with just looked so different. But yeah, so I, I came here for college. I went to Bennington College, which I loved. It was this very different environment, sort of, I guess, liberal arts, but to an extreme degree. So we didn't have core curriculum. We designed our own path. Uh, we had a plan process and we had each of us were assigned three faculty people on your committee who helped you design this plan and who gave you feedback and helped guide you. So there wasn't like, you know, if you if you said I want to study art, they wouldn't just let you do that. They would say, well, maybe you should learn about chemistry because you might want to know what your paint is made out of. Or maybe you should learn, take a dance class and see how that interacts with the way that you paint. Or if you're interested in architecture, like definitely take math and physics, but also take something completely random, like take sociology and actually it might be really more connected to architecture than you think. 
So it was this really freeing environment for me. I was a really high achiever. I held myself to, to very high standards when I was a kid. I was very kind of needed to get good grades <laughs> for my self-esteem. And so being at Bennington was so freeing to me because your letter grades didn't really matter. You got narrative evaluations. You could opt for grades. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, and there was no pressure to opt for grades. You were competing against your own standards. You were competing against yourself. You were competing for your version of excellence, and I loved that. It was so freeing. Um, And I think... I had some really great mentors. My social psychology professor became one of my biggest inspirations and still a mentor. His name is Ron Cohen. The number one thing he taught me was how to ask good questions. And that's something that I've continued to use in my work and my life. So I, after Bennington, it was a decision about where I would go next and Again, all of my friends were going to New York. Like you, There's this like mass migration that happens from rural Vermont to New York City or in some cases L.A. But a lot of my friends are visual and performing artists from college. And so that was a big scene for them. My best friend from college is a modern dancer. She's incredible. Emily Clymer, shout out. So Emily and I moved into this like tiny dingy apartment in Brooklyn and had this like amazing journey of no money and (laughs) self-discovery. I got this job working in a criminal justice reform organization and that was something I became very very passionate about, developed an understanding of what I want to do with my life, what my values are, how inequitable the systems are in the U.S., how angry that made me. And I traveled to prisons in a bunch of different states around the country and saw the conditions that people are living in and saw just how insane this whole system is. So I did that work for four years. Some of it was about improving conditions of confinement in juvenile prisons, so focused on young people under the age of 18 who were in secure facilities Um, and tried to focus on how do we make these conditions more humane, but also how do we keep people out of these systems in the first place? What's what's going wrong in, in the lives of people? What's bringing them to this point? So I started asking these questions, and, you know, it's all linked. It was all linked in my mind to poverty. It was linked to institutional racism. It was linked to our healthcare, education, childcare systems, our welfare system. And so quickly I realized, you know, I want to know more about all these things. I want to just have a broader perspective. And I don't know where this idea came in my head. I didn't even know that city planning was a profession. I had no idea when I was 22, 23. I had no idea. I think maybe like I met someone at an event that was a city planner. I don't know. Somehow this idea popped in my head. And then one day I was sitting at a restaurant with my friend and I was asking her, she had just graduated from grad school for something else, for public policy, and just sitting with her and saying like, you know, this new thing has come on my radar, city planning. I don't know how to get into it. I'm interested in it. 
And there's a guy who's sitting behind me in the restaurant. And he said, I'm a city planner. I went to grad school for city planning. And so I said, okay, what books does one read to understand what this is? So he recommended to me this book called The Life and Death of Great American Cities, I think, by Jane Jacobs. It's like a thing that everyone reads if you're in city planning. And so I got this book and I just loved it. It was so cool. It was about observing people in public spaces, what makes communities strong, what makes them resilient, how like some of the most important things about planning a city are like whether mothers can watch their children playing on the street from their kitchens. And it reminded me actually of my home in Karachi. I used to live on a on a street that was very narrow and it had little townhouses on both sides. It was very secure. And all of our houses and backyards looked the same. They were all small, but we were a bunch of like 10 or 15 kids about the same age and we would play together every day and we would go into each other's backyards like the doors were open it was so fun we would just one day explore someone's backyard then the next day explore someone else's backyard and it was so fluid but there were so many adults around just like watching us doing their own thing but definitely we were not being watched but being or being supervised but just there were people that were around anyway so I was thinking about all of this and how this book really felt important to me somehow and this was around the time that I met my husband who we met in a prison or more accurately the term is detention center the juvenile detention center in the middle of Brooklyn I met on this really cold day in the middle of winter in January and I was there by myself for this event my co-worker was supposed to come with me and she bailed last minute and I said you know what I'm not doing anything I'm gonna go by myself It was a concert that was organized by Carnegie Hall's, there was a program, music program that they did in secure facilities. They brought a pastor in who would write songs and sing with the kids and it was really, really cool. And my husband's a musician and he was part of this ensemble from Carnegie Hall. So he was there through his program and we sort of, he like was around or hanging out with his friends and I'm sitting by myself like in the bleachers of the gym of this detention center reading a book and this book is called The Marriage Plot right so like you just can't make this stuff up it was a book called The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides and he came up to me and he said did you go to Bennington College and I said what um Turns out he was at Bennington College. He was my then roommate, who I mentioned before, the modern dancer, Emily Clymer. He was her brass teacher. So he, as a young graduate student to earn some more money, was like going and teaching classes at Williams at Bennington College. And he was around. And we never met at Bennington. And then five years later, randomly met in this jail in Brooklyn so anyways so I met this like wonderful man who is so creative and so smart and so supportive at a moment in my life where I was relatively happy but like plateauing a little bit where I was in my organization 
it was obviously an incredible experience, but I was ready for the next thing. And he just gave me like this little bit of a push. You know, he said, you've got this, like you have everything you need to make the next step and really push and push and pushed. And I got in my application to two graduate schools. I only applied to Harvard and MIT (laughs) because I said, I'm so late in the cycle. I can't apply to lots of different places. I can't do many applications justice right now. So I just applied to these two places. Like, why not? You know, I'll try again next year. That was my thinking behind this. And I got in to both. (laughs) So then I had another problem. And I mostly, I was doubting myself because here I was making this career change. I knew nothing about this field. So I thought, why would they pick me, right? And I didn't realize that everyone that comes to city planning, not everyone, but a lot of different people come to city planning from different fields. So I ended up going to MIT and I went to this like incredible school with artists and like in my program were artists, people that were physicists, ran a bicycle business, came from the startup world, just like all this like insane meeting of the minds. And that's how I kind of got my bearings in this field and studied housing community and economic development. And then my husband and I took like a little trip, one, I think it was in April, to Holyoke. And his grandmother grew up here. So we visited the valley from Boston quite a bit. And one day on his Facebook, like, he just saw an event and he thought, you've never been to Holyoke, let's just go and walk around. And so I started, we came here, we walked around, we thought, this is like this gem of a place, how beautiful and what amazing natural assets and people and, you know, there's like a energy here that's really good. So I'm finishing up grad school and this job appears to be a fellow doing economic development work in downtown Holyoke and I thought how perfect (laughs) we had been meaning to come back to the valley my husband's family is still here and you know being close to one of our families felt important as we get older Um, it's been very hard I sort of you know I mentioned this at the beginning that I made this decision to leave not thinking much about it and then as I've gotten older, I, w- I was just thinking, like, how did I even make this decision? It was so big. I didn't even realize the implications of it. I obviously miss my home dearly. Um, I miss my parents. And also I have this incredible world that I've created here with my husband and my friends and my community and his family. And so being from a few different places is really hard because you have ties in so many places but it's also really beautiful. As we heard, Karachi in Pakistan is home for Mincia. So what is that she brings from home with her to the United States? I think I bring a sense of family and confidence. You know, I think my childhood was by no means perfect, you know. It was, we um, were from a middle class, I would say, household, definitely had financial challenges growing up. But the thing that we always had was a really strong sense of family. 
My family is very big. <laughs> my mom's dad has eight brothers and sisters. My maternal grandmother had 11 brothers and sisters. So we were surrounded by family all the time, especially like my uncle, my mom's brother and my mom's sister were around a lot when we were growing up, especially my mom, who's my mom's brother. He was a big part of my life. So I think my family just was always, it's really incredible. Like we've moved all over the place and we're still in touch and we still write to each other, call each other, talk to each other. And I think we find a deep sense of love and security in those relationships. And to me, that's home, you know, a place. And it doesn't need to be a, f I guess, physical place. It's just like a emotional space where... You don't feel judged where you feel held. And I think that when I go home to Karachi, that's what I experience. And that's what I bring back with me. After experiencing different lifestyles in rural, urban, and suburban environments in the United States, Insia speaks about the things she values the most and also about the challenges she has faced in the United States. I think I've loved all the different directions that my life has gone in the U.S., right? I've changed already careers twice. I've gone to incredible educational institutions. I have made these amazing friends. I think it is true that I've enjoyed a great sense of opportunity here, and I've achieved crazy things that I never thought were possible, you know? So... That's been a great side of the U.S. I also want to acknowledge that that's not accessible to everybody in the U.S. And I think those are the things that I really struggle with is that in a nation of so much opulence and wealth and resources, there's such a disparity in the experience that you have based on, you know, how much money you have and like I'm not saying I'm like I'm definitely not like <laughs> money coming out of my mouth like I'm not from that kind of you know it's it's not that but it's just like I've been very lucky that my parents were able to afford a college education for me I've been very lucky that I've been able to support myself through my jobs I've been very lucky that I didn't have some sort of like crazy illness and then wasn't able to afford health insurance to pay for my bills you know I've always had health insurance I've always had these like systems supporting me but I know that not everybody enjoys those right I also think that a thing that's been hard for me in the U.S. definitely there is racism <laughs> right and I went from living in a society where I was the majority where everyone looked like me to going to this place where I'm exotic alien people ask weird really weird questions about my background assume a lot of things about me everyone actually this is a, you know because of my appearance South Asian people like t tend to look younger than they actually are so I often like get mistaken for an intern or like you know they just think I'm younger than I am because 
whatever. I look young. I guess I'm lucky. Maybe that will benefit me when I'm older. But I have been treated a certain way because of the way that I look, definitely, in terms of age, in terms of race, in terms of gender, definitely, definitely gender. So I do think those things are very real here. You know, you're just like going about your daily life and then something happens that wouldn't happen to you if you were a white person and it shocks you and it upsets you and it ruins your day. And I just think about that sometimes. You know, my husband and I talk about this all the time because he's white and I'm brown and there is an anger and like a burden that I carry around because that's collecting from all the just like racist mini incidents that have collected over the years. And it's not just stuff that's happened to me personally, but stuff that's happened around me, stuff that's happened to my friends, stuff that's happened to my family members. Yeah, this is a hard place to live if you are not white. Yeah, I had family members visit me from Pakistan and we were tubing down a river and like a bunch of folks like harassed one of my family members like all the way down the Deerfield River (laughs) and for no reason right like just because he exists there because he's in that space and that you're just trying to live your life like anyone else but that hurts you and it makes you it prevents you from making a home (laughs) prevents you from be feeling safe and I don't like going into space and thinking about do I feel welcome here or like will these people accept me or oh will they treat me differently because of who I am but those are the questions that just like pop into your head and that's I think an additional burden that you kind of carry around. For a person not born and raised in the United States to be here it makes some immigrants to carry a burden of validating themselves all the time. These are Incy's thoughts about that. I think I have a very thick skin because of the way I've had to live my life here and the way I've had to deal with situations that are out of my control. So I feel proud because I think I'm a strong person. I've gotten through a lot of shit. (laughs) And I've really hustled, you know. It's not easy living here. Going back to the point that I made about my family, growing up, my parents needed something. They would call one of six, ten family members, you know. They're like, I need to leave my kids somewhere. I need, like, to go grocery shopping or I need a break or I need to go to a friend's wedding or whatever. Or just, yeah, there was just so much emotional and physical, like, support I think that in the U.S. people, there's a stigma around asking for help and people don't naturally help each other. I think over the years, one thing that I've learned is that the people that I'm invested in having as my friends, I've gotten better about this as I grow older. I can select the people that I want to be friends with based on whether I think they'll call me back if I need help you know and based on whether I think they can call me when they need help that we can be there for each other that becomes more and more important to me as I get older and I think that's crucial to survival I think it's always been crucial I think human beings need that 
And I think we're lying to ourselves if we think we don't need that. And I'm really, really fortunate, actually, some of what makes me feel connected to the Valley, even though it hasn't been an easy journey living here, is that I have just like these incredible friends that are there to help me, to support me, to love me. They compliment me on a bad day. They tell me nice things about my work, even when I can't see it. They share food with me, you know, and I do all those things for them. And I'm happy to do all those things for them because we're, we're building a community and that's what it's about. What it means immigration. It's a stupid thing that we have to deal with. The fact that I was born somewhere on a piece of land through no choice of my own. And I don't have access to X, Y, or Z, but you were born on the opposite side of the world through no choice or work that you put in, right? You were just born there and you have all these different resources, maybe. Just chance happened, right? But we're in very different situations. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's unfair. I think a lot of people get caught up in this really awful system. And so... I guess immigration means an overly complex, unfair system to me. <laughs> what it means for Insia to be here? I think I ask myself this question often, why am I here, you know? And I think to some degree we have a choice in the matter, but I think some degree it's just fate. So I have come to trust that I am wherever I am because that's where I'm supposed to be. And that thought just gives me some relief. So I'm not, um, I'm not kicking myself, you know. I used to overanalyze. I still do. I mean, let's be real. I still do. <laughs> I overanalyze a lot of things. But lately I've been really focused on what are the ways in which I can be respectful of my journey and so to the extent that you can do that I think it's helpful this is the story of Insia Mohammed Bergeron from Pakistan in our series of immigrant stories celebrating immigrant heritage month during the month of June on Radio Plasma I am Johan Rashi Vega producer and host thank you for listening Thank you.